Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. This morning, I actually want to talk about corporate prayer. We've been talking a lot about personal prayer, which is uh, incredibly important. In fact, I believe it's one of the most important things for a believer is to have a personal, intimate prayer life with the Father. I think it's I think it's so foundational, and I think uh, I think without it, we are lacking in a major, major way. And so, um, personal prayer. Uh, personal devotion is incredibly important to our lives. But this morning, I actually want to talk about another aspect of prayer called corporate prayer. Um, and corporate prayer is exactly what it sounds like. It's, and we, we've already done it this morning. It's when we come together as believers, as one body, and begin praying and interceding uh, for whatever it may be, begin just speaking to the Lord and communicating with the Father as a corporate body of believers. And so I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Um, before I get into it, though, why don't we go ahead and pray? It's a good idea? All right. If we're going to preach about prayer, I better start by praying. So let's pray. Jesus, we honor you this morning. God, we thank you for your presence that has already been in this room. Lord, I just pray that as I speak this morning, Father, that your word would be in me like a fire shut up in my bones, Father. God, that it would come with power and with authority. Lord, that your, that your words, Lord, would pierce our hearts like a double-edged sword, Father. God, that we would walk out of this room this morning uh, having gained revelation from the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that this morning you ignite in us once again a passion and a desire to go to the place of prayer, Father. God, that you would unite in us, Lord, as a corporate body of believers, a desire and a, and a passion to pray in every situation and in every detail of our life. God, that we would be people of prayer. Lord, we'd be individuals of prayer, but Lord, we would be a body, a family, a church of prayer. God, we love you. We honor you this morning. I thank you for your words. I thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 42. It says, Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for anybody? Prayer, coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were constantly filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their numbers daily those who were coming to life. They followed the apostles' teaching they came together regularly for community and for communion, and they were mutually linked to one together, sharing regularly and, and regularly praying together often. This was the formula for the early church. 
This is what produced the signs, wonders, and miracles that followed them. This, this is what produced the uh, church being added to daily, was that, that threefold formula, following the apostles' teaching, coming together regularly for communion and, and, and for community together, and then prayer. And this morning, I want to focus on that aspect once again. They came together for prayer. Again, we've been talking a lot about the importance of personal prayer, but I would like this morning to talk about the importance of corporate prayer and then to share with you some examples of that in Scripture. First thing I'd like to say is corporate prayer is not a protest to get God to do something. All right? So it's not a bunch of us coming together and say we're going to bend the arm of God together to get him to do something. In fact, no prayer is that, not even individual prayer. We're never going to God to try to convince him to do something good on our behalf. He already wants to, right? Prayer is, is getting in alignment with what God already wills to do. Prayer is aligning ourselves with what God already wills to do. Go ahead and pull that scripture up for me, Andrew. That first scripture, it said, um, not that one, I'm sorry, let me, let me pull, let me just read it from here. It's out of First uh, John, First John 5, 14 through 15, it says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked him. So prayer, again, is not bending God's arm. Prayer is simply coming into agreement with what is already the will of God and then co-laboring with him to make his will manifest on the earth. Got that? Let me say it one more time, and then I want to hear a big amen because it's good, okay? Ready? Prayer is simply coming into agreement with what is already the will of God, and then we're co-laboring with him to make his will manifest on the earth. Amen. What does the Father teach us to pray? That we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying, we're aligning ourselves with what he already desires and what he already wants, and then we're co-laboring with him to pull it out of heaven and to bring it and to make it manifest on earth. So that's what we're doing when we're praying. So if prayer is aligning ourselves with his will, co-laboring with him to bring it to earth, then what corporate prayer is, is uniting together as one body, uniting the church, uniting believers together under the umbrella of his will. And then, and then again, pulling from heaven to earth as a corporate body. It's that, uh, that prayer, oftentimes as we're gonna see in scripture, that many times when you see the church praying, it talks about the spirit of unity coming upon believers. So corporate prayer, I believe more than anything, what it does is it unifies us all with one goal and one mission, and that is to bring his will to the earth. So that's the importance of corporate prayer. Do I believe corporate prayer is more powerful than personal prayer? Does God show up more in, in, 
in corporate prayer than he does in personal prayer. Absolutely not. Your personal prayer life is just as powerful, just as uh, important as corporate prayer. But corporate prayer, once again, what it does, the most, in my opinion, what the most important thing about corporate prayer is it unifies us as one body. Let me, let me show you that in Scripture. It unifies us together as one body. So John chapter 17, uh, starting in verse 21, says, I pray for them all. This is, this is Jesus right before he goes to the cross, when he's, when he's in the garden, the garden, right? When he's in the garden with his disciples, he's praying over them, and this is one of the things he prays. He says, I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For, for the very glory you have given to me, I give to them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity we enjoy. You live fully in me, and now I live fully in them. Let's just take a moment and just enjoy that scripture for a second. That the Lord, that as the Father, as the Father lives fully in the Son, that the Father and the Son live fully in us. What kind of confidence and boldness should that produce inside of us? Knowing that the Father and the Son live inside of us. It was the great mystery that the Bible talks about that the Father had throughout generations that at the right time that the Father was not only going to be with us, he was not only going to work through us, but he was going to be in us. The hope of glory, amen? That was just a little side note. Not at all what I'm talking about, but so good. So, you live fully in me, and now I live fully in them, so that they will experience perfect what? Unity. And the world will be convinced that you have sent me, for they will see that you love or see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. What does it say? What does the scripture say will cause the world to know of the great love of the Father? The unity of the believers, that they are one, that they are united together. And what I believe corporate prayer does, one of the things it does, is it unites us together under one umbrella, which is the will of the Father. And it unites us together so that we can then reach into heaven and make his will manifest on the earth. Amen? That's the importance of corporate prayer. So everybody say with me, what's the importance of corporate prayer? Unity. No, yeah, the answer, yeah. I appreciate you following directions, though. That's good. I wasn't very specific. Unity is, the, is, is one of the key principles of corporate prayer. I love, I love this thought. Corporate prayer strengthens the family bond. Corporate prayer strengthens the family bond. We've talked a lot about how we are a family, that we are part of the family of God, that we are sons and daughters with one father. And corporate prayer helps to strengthen that family bond. Amen? Any, I've, I've said this before, so this is going to be very familiar. Any revival or move of God that has ever manifested on the earth has begun first with prayer. Every one of them. You can look through revival history. You can look at any, any church that is doing something great and powerful in the world today. Every one of them 
began with a prayer meeting. Often, it began with one person in their prayer closet who got passionate about the Lord, who became passionate about prayer, and then that one person uh, sparked in other people uh, this same passion, and they became unified together under that passion to do the will of the Father. And then out of that corporate prayer, sparked revival, sparked a move of the Spirit, sparked something great that the Lord did in the earth. Every single time it started with prayer. And you know what is lacking the most in the church today? Prayer. Listen, it's so lacking in the church as a whole today. Prayer has become something we do to start the service and to end the service. But the Lord is wanting to raise up, once again, people in the earth that will bind together and create a culture of prayer where everything that happens, every situation that arises, everything that happens in the world, everything that happens in the community is not answered first with an opinion or with anything else, but it is first gone to or taken to the place of prayer. And in that place of prayer, something is born and the Lord is able to manifest heaven on the earth. Prayer is vital to change. Prayer is vital to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And if we, listen, I've been talking so many times about us becoming restorers of cities, repairers of communities. If we wanna get to that point, we have to become people of prayer. There's no, there's no question about it. There's no other way to do it. There's no other formula. We must become people of prayer if we want to have any influence in this world for the kingdom. Amen? We have to build the culture of prayer. Let me, let me read to you some examples in Scripture of corporate prayer, of, of, of the early church praying. So Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 6 Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, it says, During this period, King Herod incited persecution against the church, causing great harm to the believers. He even had the apostle Jacob, also known as James, John's brother, beheaded. When Herod realized how much this pleased the Jewish, Jewish leaders, he had Peter arrested and thrown into prison during the Feast of Passover. Sixteen soldiers were assigned to guard him until Herod could bring him to public trial uh, immediately after the Passover celebrations were over. So uh, what I, what I, this is a total side note, but what I love about that is I was like, why would they need 16 guards to guard one man? And then I realized that, uh, that Christians kind of developed this reputation of getting out of jail, Right? So like, uh, and we're going to see it here in just a second, but, but they're, they're, they're doing that because if you remember, Jesus was crucified, put in a tomb, guarded by, a, or was, was guarded by a Roman soldier with a stone rolled over the tomb and still managed to escape, right? And so they're like, these guys have just this knack of getting out of tough situations. I mean, Jesus was dead and he got out of the situation. So maybe we should, you know, put 16 guards on this guy. So I just thought that was kind of humorous. But anyway, so they put 16 guards on him. Listen to this next verse. The church went into a season of intense intercession, asking God to free him. The King James says that they went into constant prayer or into a season of intercession. 
to a, into a season of intercession, which another kind of funny note, it, it doesn't say that they did that for James and he was beheaded, right? So maybe they thought, uh, maybe we should pray a little harder next time. <laughs> it didn't work very well than what we did last time. So maybe we should go into constant prayer and maybe we'll have a little bit more success. <laughs> so it says they go into a season of prayer. Sometimes, listen church, sometimes I think we give up far too quickly in prayer. We give up far too quickly in prayer. You know, we'll, we'll pray over a different, over a situation. Well, you know, we've prayed over several people with, with that have, have been sick or have had cancer or different things. And, um, and we pray over them and it's easy to send out that prayer and then just kind of let it drift there and never pursue it again. Or maybe we've become disappointed when we've prayed and then because we've become disappointed, we stop pursuing uh, the Lord in prayer, the Lord's will in prayer. And far too often we give up on prayer because either, like I said, we've become disappointed or maybe another reason. Maybe I think sometimes we even just feel like we become redundant if we keep praying the same thing over and over again. We, you know, we feel like we have to move on to the new thing. That's, that's kind of a, a Western culture kind of thing. We feel like we constantly have to be moving on to the new thing. And so I feel like sometimes when uh, we, 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 we neglect the consistency of praying over a certain situation. And the Lord, the, the scriptures tell us exactly the opposite, that we need to pursue the Lord in constant prayer until we see it come to pass. Uh, I'll show you this. I, I have the scriptures, but I'll just, um, I'll, I'll try. I didn't do a very good job last week. I'll try to just uh, 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 share with you, kind of paraphrase the story, and hopefully I don't screw it up like I did last week with, I think, two stories. <laughs> but um, but, but it, it's the parable that Jesus tells in Luke, I believe chapter 17, uh, that, the, that Jesus tells in Luke of the unjust judge. It, says, it starts off, let me read just the first part. Let me just read the first part of that because it's, uh, it's good. Actually, it's Luke 18. It says, one day Jesus taught the apostles to keep praying and to never stop or lose hope. So that is the purpose of this parable is he's teaching the apostles to never stop praying and to never lose hope. Then I, let me just read it so I don't screw it up. It says, in a certain town, there was a judge, a thick-skinned and godless man who had no fear of others' opinions. Sounds like a social media justice guy, right? They're thick-skinned. They don't care about anybody else's opinions, right? So there was this judge, and it says, and then there was a poor widow in that town who kept pleading with the judge, grant me justice and protect me against my oppressors. He ignored her pleas for quite some time, but she kept asking. I think every child in America was born with this scripture on their heart, right? He ignored their request, but she kept asking. Eventually, he said to himself, this widow keeps annoying me. This is every parent in America. This widow keeps annoying me, demanding her rights, and I'm tired of listening to her. Even though I'm not a religious man and I don't care about the opinions of others, I'll just get her off my back by answering her claims for justice and I'll rule in her favor. Then she'll leave me alone. The Lord continued, did you hear what the ungodly judge said? That he would answer her persistent request. 
don't you know that that God, the true judge, will grant justice to all of his chosen ones who cry out to him night and day. He will pour out his spirit upon them and he will not delay to answer you and to give you what you ask for. God will give swift justice to those who don't give up. So be ever praying, ever expecting, just like the widow was with the judge. Yet when the son of man comes back, will he find this kind of persistent faith, faithfulness, in his people. I want to make it clear that God is not represented in this passage as the unjust judge. Rather, he is the true judge that it talks about later. But what he is saying here in this passage is that if an unjust judge is willing to be swayed by somebody who persistently keeps coming back over and over again. If they're willing to be persuaded, this judge who did not want to grant her favor, who was, whose will was not in line with her will, who was annoyed by this lady, this judge, if he's willing to grant her request because of her persistence, how much more will the true judge who does will good on his people, who does want the best, who does want justice more than any of us want justice, how much more will that judge grant your request if you are persistent in prayer? The Lord is calling us to be persistent in prayer that we need to stop giving up so quickly when we pray, not worrying about becoming redundant, but we pray until we see his will manifested on the earth. I love how the Lord ends, how Jesus ends this parable. He says, but when I return, will I find this kind of faithfulness on the earth? Which tells me this, that there is an option that it is possible that when he returns that he will not find that faithfulness, that it is up to us to become so convinced of his goodness and of his faithfulness that our faith is so strong that we don't just pray once, but we pray over and over and over again, not because we're trying to bend God's arm, but because we trust that he is good and it is, is his will, and we're gonna keep praying his will until we see it manifested on the earth. That is what faith looks like. It's persistence because you know and you trust the faithful one to be able to complete his promise. Amen? So we must become persistent in prayer. We must become persistent in prayer. That, that Sherry, I believe, well, she's not in there this morning, but Brian and Sherry, I believe with all of my heart that the Lord can heal her in one moment. But if she goes to that doctor Tuesday and there's still cancer there, then you better believe we're gonna keep praying until we see that thing gone. Because we know that his will is for her to be cancer free. And so we're gonna pray that will until we see it manifested, amen? We've gotta be persistent. Let's jump back into Acts chapter 12. So Peter is thrown into jail. Peter's thrown into jail, and it says that the church went into a season of intercession, asking God to free him. Then the night before Herod planned to bring him to trial, he made sure that Peter was securely bound with two chains. Peter was sound asleep between two soldiers with additional guards stationed outside his cell door. Again, 
These people have a knack of escaping, so let's put two guards right beside him so that he cannot escape. When all at once an angel of the Lord appeared, filling his prison cell with brilliant light, the angel struck Peter on the side to awaken him and said, hurry up, let's go. Instantly, the chains fell off his wrists. The angels The angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals, bring your cloak, and follow me. Peter quickly left the cell and followed the angel, even though, or even though he thought it was only a dream or a vision, for it seemed unreal and he couldn't believe it was really happening. They walked unseen past the first guard, guard post, and then the second before coming to the iron gate that leads to the city, and the gate swung open all by itself right in front of them. They went out into the city and were walking down a narrow street when all of a sudden the angel disappeared, and that's when Peter realized that he wasn't having a dream, and he said to himself, holy cow, this is really happening. (laughs) The Lord sent his angel to rescue me from the clutches of Herod and from the Jewish leaders, uh, and from the Jewish leaders, plan, or from what the Jewish leaders planned to do to me. When he realized this, he decided to go to the home of Mary and her son John Mark. Listen here: the house was filled with people praying. Say it with me: the house was filled with people praying. When he knocked on the door, say it with me again: when he knocked on the door, when he knocked the door. There's no reason for you to say that. I just like the power of being able to tell you to do something. (laughs) So when he knocked on the door, the servant girl named Rose got up to see who it was. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so excited that she forgot to open the door, but ran back inside the house to announce that Peter is standing outside. Listen to this is the funniest part to me. And they say, are you crazy? They said to her. But when she kept insisting, they answered, well, it must be his angel. Listen, they've been praying constantly, the Bible says, in a season of prayer for Peter to be released from prison. The girl comes to them and says, our prayers have been answered. Peter is standing outside. And they go, you must be crazy. You must be out of your mind. And they said, and this is the crazy part. They say, it must be his angel. How many angel visitations do you have to encounter to have more faith that it's an angel standing outside than Peter himself? Isn't that crazy? So they go, you're crazy. They go to the door. They open the door. It's Peter standing there. Peter comes in and begins telling them all that just happened, and they begin praising God for answering their prayers. But the the point is, is when trouble happened, when trouble came, that the group of believers, the group of people went into a season of corporate prayer and began coming together as one, praying for the manifestation of the will of God to be manifested on the earth in this situation. They came together and they never gave up until Peter was standing in their midst. That's the power of corporate prayer, of coming together under the will of the Father. Amen? Let me show you one more in Acts chapter 4. So a little context before we jump into the scripture. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had just gone to the gate called Beautiful. 
and the lame man was there, and they, they healed the man uh, at the gate called Beautiful, the, the, the man who was unable to walk from birth. They, they, uh, they healed the man. He got up and began walking, and it said that thousands saw it and began uh, coming to Peter. Peter preached the message to him, and there was many saved that day. And then uh, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, catch wind of what's happening, and they call Peter and James to, uh, to, to themselves to stand before them. And they begin questioning them, uh, all of these things. And I love, I love what the Bible says. It says they begin questioning them about Jesus and, and denying them and telling them they can't talk. But then it says, but they could not deny. They could not deny that the man was lame and now he isn't. I love that verse, that, that people can argue all day long about doctrine, about theology, about whether God is real, whether he's not real. But when a man is standing before you completely whole, argument's over. I love that. And that's why, again, that's why signs and wonders and miracles are still so important and vital to this day because it ends all arguments that the Lord manifested and caused a great miracle. So anyways, that's, that again, I'm, I'm, I'm sidetracking. So this is, this is what's happened. And, and at the end of the, the whole thing, after they said, we can't deny it, we can't put him in jail because the people are celebrating. They saw that this man was healed. So we can't do anything. So it says, so they, so they threatened them harshly. I, I'd love to hear what that sounded like. They threatened them harshly. Sounds horrible. <laughs> and then they released them. And so that's, that's what happened before I started reading this verse here. That's the context of what's going on. So we're going to start here in verse 23. As they were released from custody, Peter and John went to the other believers and explained all that had happened with the high priest and the elders. When the believers heard their report, they raised their voices in unity and prayed that their first response to persecution— their first response to the harsh uh, warning or whatever it was that the, the Pharisee said, their response was not complaining. It was not, uh, you know, they didn't have social media, so, you know, whatever their v- version of that would have been. Uh, it wasn't getting on there and, and, and uh, uh, complaining or ranting. That's the word I'm looking for. It wasn't, what can we do politically to fix this problem their first response to the problem was unity in prayer. Their first response to the problem was prayer. Church, our first response to any situation must be prayer. Before we open our mouths and give our opinions, before we do anything, and I'm not saying that doesn't come, there comes a time when you do open your mouth and you do begin to speak out against things, against injustice, against different things, absolutely. But our first response, our first step, always needs to be prayer. Every time, our knee-jerk reaction needs to be to go to the place of prayer. And that was what happened here with the apostles. Their first reaction was to go to the place of prayer. So they go, it says, it says when the believers heard their report, they raised their voices in unity and prayed. And this is what they prayed. Lord Yahweh, you are the Lord of all. You created the universe, the earth, the sky, the sea, and everything that is in them. And you spoke by the Holy Spirit 
through your servant David, our forefather, saying, I just tried to scroll up on my Bible like it was an iPad, just so you're all aware of that. And it says, and you spoke by the Holy Spirit through your servant David, our forefather, saying, how dare the nations plan a rebellion, ranting and raging against the Lord Most High. Their foolish plots are futile. Look at how the kings of the earth take their stand with the rulers and scheming, uh, scheming and conspiring, or conspiring together against God and his anointed Messiah. In fact, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Jews and non-Jews, met together to take their stand against your holy servant, Jesus, the Messiah. They did to him all that your purpose and your will had determined according to the destiny you had marked out for him. So now, Lord, listen to their threats to harm us. Empower us as your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously. Stretch out your hand of power through us, or your power through us to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son, Jesus. So let's, let's pause for a minute and ponder here what they just prayed. The first thing that they prayed was they recognized their trust was in him. The very first thing they say is that, that, Lord, you are God, that you are Lord of all. So the first thing they did was recognize that their trust was in him. They recognized, next, how foolish it was for man to take a stand against God. I love that part of the verse. They said it's absolute foolishness that they plan and they scheme against God because how many of you know that their plan will fail every time? Then they explain that even when they did take a stand against God by having Jesus put on the cross, that even then they just ended up fulfilling the Father's purpose anyway. So even when they tried, they still failed because they were fulfilling the, pop, the Father's purpose anyway. Then, I loved what they did next. They looked to heaven and said, now, um, or they looked to heaven and then they, they said this. They said, stretch out your hand of power. I'm sorry, let me start up a little bit ahead. So now, Lord, listen to their threats to harm us. Empower us as your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously. Stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son. They didn't pray, oh God, hide us under your wing and protect us from the evil schemings of these people. Instead, they prayed, God, that boldness that got us into trouble just a few minutes ago, Give us more of that. <laughs> Give us more of the boldness that got us into the trouble in the first place. Let us speak courageously because, again, they just prayed because we know even if they plot against us, they're going to end up just fulfilling your purpose anyway. So, Father, give us the boldness. Give us the boldness to speak your word in power. And then, Father, back it up with signs, wonders, and miracles, period. Their prayer wasn't long. It wasn't drawn out. It was simple. God, you are good. We trust you completely. They're foolish for even trying to stand against you. Now, Father, grant us boldness. 
and then back it up with signs, wonders, and miracles. That was their prayer. And it didn't take a whole lot of time for the Lord to answer. The very next verse, Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Acts chapter 4, verse 31 says, At that moment, the earth shook beneath them, causing the building they were in to tremble. Each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they proclaimed the word of God with unrestrained boldness. It didn't take long. The Lord answered them right away. I love what Bill Johnson says about this passage. He says, prayers that move you move God. And then when God is moved, he then turns around and moves the earth. That prayers that move you, that move your heart, move the heart of God. And when his heart is moved, he turns around and he moves the earth. Amen? The problem is many of us are praying prayers that don't move us. We're praying, I've really practiced this word this afternoon and I'm still gonna struggle. Obligatory prayer, right? They were prayers that you feel obligated to pray. The problem is we're praying those, those types of prayers that we feel obligated to prayer and they don't move us. They don't move us and therefore they end up falling flat because it says that the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. And we need to get to a point where we're so passionate about his will, we're passionate about his justice, his righteousness, and when we get passionate about his will and that begins to move inside of us, then when we pray, we will be able to see heaven invade earth. The problem is, is we need to allow his will to begin moving inside of us, to become passionate about the things that he is passionate about. That when we pray, we're not praying out of obligation, but we're praying out of a sense of, of deep intercession, that we want to see his will manifested on this earth. And when we pray out of that deep uh, desire to see his will manifested, that's when the Lord will come and shake the earth. Because prayers that move us move God. And when God is moved, he moves the earth. Amen? We have to get to a point where we um, are passionate about what we pray for. I love what Ian Bounds, uh, really the father of, of the original prayer movement, Ian Bounds, he says this. He says, no addition, no purity of diction, no width of mental outlook, no flower of eloquence, no grace of person can atone for lack of fire. Prayer ascends by fire. Flame gives prayer access as well as wings, acceptance as well as energy. There is no incense without fire, no prayer without a flame. That prayer must come from a place of passion, a place of fervent desire to see the will of the Father manifested on the earth. Until we get to that point where we're praying his will with passion, we're not going to see his will manifested on this earth. But when we begin praying his will with, with our passion, I believe we will see his will manifested on the earth. Amen.
I'm going to end with this here. Acts chapter 4, it's the, it's the next part of the verse here in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, all the believers were one mind and one heart. Selfishness was not a part of their community, for they shared everything they had with one another. The apostles gave powerful testimonies about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great measures of grace rested upon them all. Great measures of grace rested upon them all. I'm going to end where I started. Corporate prayer binds the community together with one mind and one purpose. My goal right now, my goal, and what I believe is the Father's goal for this house, is that we build a culture of prayer. That we become people dedicated to personal prayer and then corporate prayer. That our first response in any situation is to go to the place of prayer. That is as it was in the early church, um, that our first response to injustice and brokenness and to resistance would be not anger and not complaining, would be to run to the place of prayer. And listen, I believe if we work to get this place, to work to build a culture of prayer within our homes and within this church, I believe that if we are faithful to do that, that we will move into a season, not, not a season, but that we'll move into a place where we become restorers of cities, builders of communities, that our, our prayers will go just from talking to God to action and seeing his will manifested in our homes, in our church, and ultimately in our communities and our nation. That when we get to that place of corporate prayer, we will become repairs of cities, restorers of communities. Amen? So how many of you are with me? Let's build a culture of prayer. Let's build a culture of prayer. That our services may end up being uh, prayer meetings. Who knows? We're going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. That, uh, and we, we've already begun this by having, an, uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, to sell another service to you. I'm trying to involve you in, 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 this, in this movement the Lord is, 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 uh, is leading in the church. But on Wednesday nights, we have corporate prayer. I encourage you all highly to engage in those. Uh, this next week, we'll be on Zoom again. Super easy. You don't have to uh, do anything super technical. I'll send you the invite. You click on it, and then it'll lead you through the steps. You can join in on that. The next week, we're going to be meeting in the building for corporate prayer. Um, so that, that's the next week. I encourage you all to come out to that. I know some of you maybe don't have internet or aren't computer savvy. That's another great outlet, a place for you to come. Is every, every uh, the last Wednesday of every month, we're gonna have corporate prayer in-house. The other outlet we have is before service uh, at 9.45, right after Sunday school. We're meeting right over here in front of the stage. What I would love to see happen, and this is the vision I have for it, I would love to see this entire front area right here just covered with people praying and crying out for the manifestation of his presence in our service. 
I love to see that happen before our services. And so at 9.45, we're beginning that. We're praying. And what that's doing is that that's just jump-starting our service. We're getting into that mindset of unity before we even get into the service. And we're asking, we're calling on the Holy Spirit to come and to do something in the service. So at 9.45, I encourage you all to come. Be a part of that as well. If, you, if you're out there talking, we won't judge you too bad. But, uh, but I encourage you just to join in on that part of prayer. And uh, so, th- so those are some of the things that we're doing right now to initiate this culture of prayer. So I encourage you all to join in with that. Amen. Again, I believe corporate prayer binds us together as a family. And that when we begin to come passionate about his will, that we will see his will manifested in our midst. Amen. So let's go after in prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you now. Jesus, thank you once again for your presence here this morning. God, I've already prayed it this morning, but I'm going to pray it again. God, I pray for a grace to rest on this house, for us to become people of prayer. God, a people of deep intercession. God, that your will would become so alive inside of us that, that, you're, that the justice that you want on this planet, the, the righteousness that you want in our communities, we, that we would become burdened with what you're burdened with, that our prayers would become passionate and fervent. And Lord, that as we begin to have a grace to pray for those things, Lord, that we would begin to see your will manifested in our midst, that heaven would become reality on earth. God, I thank you for that grace to pray. God, I pray that everyone in this room, that as they go to their own personal garden of prayer, as they go to their own prayer closet, their own secret place, as they begin seeking you on their own, God, that you would just meet them there every time. I love in Matthew 6, 6, that it says that you rest in the secret place. So every time we go and shut that door, Lord, you meet us there. Father, I pray that they would feel, that we would feel your tangible presence in the prayer closet, Father. God, that we would feel your your tangible presence in our houses, that our houses would become sanctuaries. God, that this church would become a sanctuary, a place that hosts your presence. God, let every home in this place become a place that hosts your presence. God, give us a grace for that. God, give us a grace for corporate prayer as we come together that there would be such unity among this body, that there would be such unity amongst this family. God, that we would come together under the umbrella of your will, that we would together as a family be able to pull down heaven to earth. God, give us a grace for that. Give us direction. Give us insight on how to build a culture of prayer in this place. And I believe out of that culture, we are going to see some amazing, incredible things. God, and I also, I also just pray that you would back up that boldness to pray with signs, wonders, and miracles. God, that this would be a house of signs, wonders, and miracles that the people sitting in this sanctuary right now, the people that call this place home would be people that have signs, wonders, and miracles following them every step of the way. God, we pray this all right now in your name. We honor you, Jesus. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.